millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And just as we looked to be making this World Cup so similar to the upcoming one now in this year, 2023, we get to a game with Canada in it, which is where these two World Cups split off. So welcome to the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective. Once again, it's a delight as ever to be joined by Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? I'm all right. There's a slightly bittersweet sensation of not having Gavin Henson play in this game, but I'm sure there's some antidote to that that we can at some point achieve. (laughs) Well, this is exactly it. This is exactly why, as we look at Wales for the first time in this tournament, we had to, we had to get on author, writer, social media, Twitter person, but mostly the world's leading hensonologist, I would say, Mr. Luke Upton. How are you doing? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, Robbie. Thank you, Will. Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on this this game and not the Fiji game. I'm <laughs> not. Not ready to talk about that in this kind of detail. But yeah, thank you very much for inviting me on this. Obviously, Henson is a big miss from this tournament mm. um, and indeed every World Cup since 1999. <laughs> um, you know, he could have made that as a 17-year-old playing for Swansea RFC. I think he probably should have. But yeah, he's missing from this tournament. But there are there were a couple of other decent players in this tournament. So I guess we'll have to, we'll have to press on without him. Well, you remember up until about 2020, Gavin Henson's description on Twitter was Rugby World Cup 2019. <laughs> He's he obsessed so with going to a World Cup. Yeah. And there's, an, there's another one coming up. There is time yet for Gav. Gatlin's back. Gatlin like Gav, you know. Oh. Uh, yeah. The, the saddest thing was when he when he made his one one appearance in Rugby League, they, they got on the sort of Rugby League World Cup hype train for Henson. Yes. But, I mean that was a very short-lived thing, but he was I, he was asked the question like you know would you go to the World Cup having not even played a single game of rugby league yet? I think he said yes, but that, that didn't happen unfortunately. I remember looking at ticket prices for the Rugby League World Cup. Like, what if Gavin Henson was playing Papua New Guinea in Doncaster and tickets were a fiver? I'd go. I'd go to watch Gavin Henson play. It's, it's the worst thing that happened because of the COVID pandemic was them pushing back the Rugby League World Cup a year so Gavin Henson couldn't play in it anymore because he's now 51 instead of 50. <laughs> but he still looks 16. Yeah, I mean, he's looking he's looking great still in a, in a different way. But yeah, I think he, I think we might have to realise you'll never play in the, in the World Cup for Wales, maybe as a maybe as assistant coach or something, hype man, I don't know, in, in France in the autumn and see what see what Gatlin's come up comes up with but he's a fan of his you never let him down to quote Warren Gatland and he hasn't done it yet no No, absolutely (laughs) never will never will so (laughs) obviously Gavin Henson is one thing the one player we haven't mentioned from this book was Geffen Hughes uh, another Welsh player from sort of this era the subject of your first book where was Geffen Hughes in lead up to this World Cup Geffen Hughes I think had gone on a, a a poorly timed sabbatical from rugby I think he'd uh, he'd got involved in um, 
the two Welsh obsessions of reality TV and uh, and CrossFit, and I think we've lost him <laughs> for that. I think he just made his return at the end of uh, at the end of the first book, but there's there's not been a second, so I think he's just sort of floating in in the air somewhere. But we, you know, you can imagine he's he's played in and won a few World Cups since then. Is that something you'd want to do? A follow up checking in on Geffen Hughes later down his yeah. down the line. I don't know if there is the commercial or public desire. <laughs> <laughs> for a second Gethin Hughes book as much as I'd like to say there is I mean I think everyone who read it did quite enjoy it this is if anyone's listening and doesn't know what I'm talking about which probably is for a lot of people <laughs> I wrote a book about five or six years ago called Absolutely Huge which was a kind of a spoof autobiography of a of a rugby player called Gethin Hughes and he's sort of crazy talented but pretty stupid as well and obviously not at all based on any any other Welsh internationals of that era and don't think really about the initials purely coincidence yeah, GH, you know, Geffen Hughes, lots of people called GH out there. But yeah, so it was his like his sort of life and times. And yeah, people people did like it. But yeah, I don't know if there'll be a second one. Um, <laughs> we will we will see. Well, there wasn't <laughs> the public so. demand for this podcast, and we're still doing it. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I was hoping there'd be a bit of like fan fiction or something, you know, other people would take it on for me. But again, no, no one's no one's done that either, unfortunately. So, so we'll we'll see. Maybe we'll maybe we'll revisit him at one point in the time. But he he lived in a slightly crazy like Wales when with all the regions were absolutely all over the place, and it really has sort of mm. come right round to that now. now <laughs> yeah. So we will we will see. But obviously, it then leads us on to where we are now. Maybe you didn't write the follow up to absolutely huge, but you did write an absolutely huge pair of books afterwards, including most recently rugby's greatest mavericks so this has been out for what a few months now and yeah just like yeah yeah wandering around bookshops in when i was in wales a month or two ago everywhere every bookshop copies all over the place is it still (laughs) surreal spotting copies of your book in the wild and seeing it in you know waterstones and the like yeah yeah it is so yeah on on the back of absolutely huge a lot of other publishers who do quite a lot of welsh books mm. uh, they've just done the nigel owens book which is obviously a big oh, seller and um, yeah they invited me to do a book of sort of anthology i suppose of hard men of rugby so 2020 um of the toughest guys you mean this there yeah there we go i've got a yes. copy of it in my hands excellent i must say very enjoyable it covers all eras it's very good yeah it was, yeah, it was a lot of a lot of fun to write good fun to research got to speak to kind of people like sort of Bacchus Berta and Brian Lima and Lee Byrne and players like that and yeah it went it went well it's very focused on sort of the stories the characters of people rather than the, the kind of the stats and things like that and then off the back of that I I thought there's another book a bit like this that I could do so yeah did one on Mavericks which was out in the middle of October so similar kind of thing 20 men and women in the last sort of 80 years and yeah, some of them are sort of mavericks sort of on the pitch. So I mm. suppose someone like Serevi, you know, yes. the classic, you know, you know, running with the ball in one hand, you know, all that kind of thing. Through to people like well, David Pocock, it's obviously someone that you guys know well, who is not really a maverick on the pitch, but because of his sort of stance off the pitch and his attitude towards sort of social issues and the fact he is now a a liberal independent senator at the age of 32 <laughs> makes him a maverick and that was yeah that was really good fun spoke to david campesi for it he wrote the forward mm. very kindly he was great fun i mean exactly how you'd imagine david campesi to be within 30 seconds on the phone to me he's dropping his his truth bombs about 
all kinds of things. But yeah, great fun. Yeah, so that's that was out in, out in October, and yeah, it is it is quite surreal to sort of see to see the books out and about. You know, it's lovely when people you know tweet me who I don't know <laughs> to say you know got your book, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's it's really mm. lovely when people kind of make the time to to do that. So yeah, it's nice to be you know nice to be out there and obviously to talk to a few people like sort of you know David Campesi. I spoke to Joel mm. Stransky as well. Oh. Um, people that have sort of you know just grown up watching on the telly and I'm just yeah, you know yeah. like an ordinary bloke and suddenly you're kind of having a chat with this guy and it's you know and they're and they're lovely and they're helpful and they're friendly so yeah yeah really positive put me in a good frame of mind for this for this podcast because I spent quite a lot of time on on YouTube and <laughs> ESPN scrum kind of yes. looking up exactly when this guy played I mean ESPN scrum is it's just the best thing in the world really I think oh the loss of it I still feel every day I weep yeah. a single tear every morning when I first wake up for the loss of ESPN yeah. Scrum. This podcast is very much powered by ESPN Scrum. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think us and every guest we've ever had has relied on ESPN Scrum for any statistics that have ever come up in here. It was yeah, the point and in the anything going on recently? I don't know how people write about it. Yeah, really don't. yeah, he's so reliant on all rugby, yeah. which is so much less comprehensive. Mm. But you know, a yeah. useful resource nonetheless. But and you've got to split them and compare them, put the two together. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yeah. You know, Wikipedia is yeah. obviously very helpful, but having like read people's autobiographies and definitive works on people, and then I've looked on their Wikipedia page and yeah, that is wrong. <laughs> that is like people's birthdays are wrong on Wikipedia oh, wow. and, you know, clubs and, and things like that are often often incorrect and mm. i think probably before before doing these books i sort of took it a little bit more as gospel kind of like the wisdom of crowds was sorted out but now there's actually quite a lot of <laughs> a lot of errors on there so i've never found any errors in espn scrum god bless it never <laughs> absolutely never so when it comes to like narrowing down the list to 20 knowing that's coming yeah do you have an initial idea of most of the players you want to do do you have some that you come across whilst you're researching or do you have a kind of do you find it very much as you're writing? Like what's the process in nailing down the 20 and finding the 20? And is it just you having a kind of great knowledge of rugby and of past players that can bring this out? Yeah, it's a bit, a bit of both really. I mean, I mean, I have to, you know, it's, it is a commercial, you know, enterprise. I mean, it doesn't, Mm. doesn't make me much money at all. There's better ways to earn that money is if you know, or easier ways, I should say. Um, so it has to be sort of run by the, the publisher a little bit. So, you know, you have to be kind of mindful of different audiences mm. and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the, of the 20, I think there's, you know, there, there were some ones that very obviously came to mind that are sort of very, <clears throat> very sort of straightforward. And then there's ones that are a bit more unusual. So I think in the, in the last book, I, I read a book in, in Mavericks, I read a book about protests about the South African tour of mm. Ireland and the UK in the 70s, the anti-apartheid protest. And it was you know, an absolutely huge, huge thing. I mean, the tour was massive, went on for about mm. three months, but it was a major, oh. you know, major political issue. You know, loads of games were, were were disrupted. And then I read about them in Ireland and there was a, a priest kind of leading the, the so one line about it. there was a, a former Ireland, Ireland international, Marnie Cunningham, led the protests outside the game against Munster. And I just thought that's kind of, Kind of interesting like you know who's this guy i've said never heard of him and then yeah kind of looked up and saw he played and played for ireland in the 50s and kind of fairly recently died and then kind of packed in being a, a rugby player to become a priest and then i thought that was kind of quite interesting I read a bit more about him a bit more about him and couldn't find anything and then tracked down his nephew oh, um who played for ulster no, not ulster sorry munster and island a in the right. 90s 
and is involved in sort of club rugby in Ireland. And he basically spoke to him, had a massive chat with him, got some resources. And then that story kind of wasn't really told that much before. And now it's kind of kind of out oh, there. That's absolutely so, amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. So someone like him or like Heather Mize, Canadian player, with someone I, I wasn't hugely familiar with before. I kind of knew the name, but I didn't know much about her. But then when I started looking into, into her, I was like, God, she's amazing. With you know, gold medals and two Olympics, decent cyclist as well. And yeah, kind of spoke to her and, and got that. So I wanted it to be a mix of, you know, people like, yeah, your Campeses or, you know, from a Welsh point of view, someone like Ray Gravel, who mm. everyone knows Ray Gravel, everyone sort of loves him. But I think people love him so much, they're quite happy to spend a quarter of an hour reading a chapter yeah. on him, you know. So it's a bit like, yeah, a bit, a bit of a mix. You don't want it to be all, oh, I know all these guys. Or you don't want it to be, who the hell are these people? You want to try and get a, you know, a little bit of a mix. And I actually think that the feedback I've got has been that the kind of Marnie Cunninghams and the uh, Heather Moyes and Non Evans as well. Um, mm. been, people have really kind of enjoyed those. And I think people have enjoyed then learning a bit more about, I had a, you know, I had a chapter on, you know, Christoph Dominici. And obviously he's, mm. you know, a pure entertainer, a flair player, but obviously he had you know, terrible mental health issues that, you know, oh, oh. were with him all through his life and ultimately, well, led to his passing. So I think kind of weaving that into it as well. And then someone like, you know, James Small, South African winger in the 1995 World Cup final. Again, he's sort of like a bit of a bad boy of rugby and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, the Harley and the leather jackets and the women and the drinking and stuff like that. But again, there was a lot more to him from his family and his life. And, you know, the time he was playing was a very complex time in South African rugby because it was obviously coming out of apartheid into the democratic era and so coming out of the, the ban but he was the only white guy on the team of non-dutch heritage so he was of a british oh, wow. heritage so he basically got the shit kicked out of him quite a lot going through the ranks so wow. he had this sort of outsider status when he came in so it was actually far more sympathetic to the wider problems in South African culture than perhaps some other players would be you know, but it's obviously mm. all it's obviously all nuanced. So, you know, I think kind of you can write about him and you can write about some of the cool stuff on the pitch and, you know, the 95 Cup, five, cup final against mm. uh, Jonah Lumu, but then kind of framing it in within this sort of wider sort of context of the of the sort of society at the time and then the man himself. So, yeah, those were chapters really, you know, were really interesting to write. Obviously, you know, it took a long time on them because it's quite a hard thing yeah. to write about. And it's, you can't be flippant about it. And it's, mm. you know, obviously small. Sensitive it's, issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I kind of I, I spoke to a, a South African friend about that chapter and, and sort of said, "Is this? I've read this. Is this right?" Because <laughs> yeah, you, you know what it's like when someone writes about something that you you know about you, and it's it's a clunky. You can spoil a mile. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's really really good fun to sort of put put together. And yeah, people seem to quite enjoy them. And so they're all you know the chapters are about sort of three or four thousand page pages. Words <laughs> long, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Four, yeah, 4,000 yeah, 4, chapters each, yeah. yeah I can't, um, can't yeah. say you don't work hard. I don't know if you have the same thing that I do all the time, that I find it so much easier to try and tell a story like a, you know, like the Marnie Cunningham thing. Obviously, you know, it's a story I didn't, I, like nobody else, knew before the book. Or like, like you've got the chapter on Pride of Longeat and Alexander uh, Obstansky. You know, those stories feel easier to tell than just writing necessarily about someone like Finn Russell or Sergio Parise, who are in the book as well who are just, you know, for their playing ability. Like, it's easier, to, I think, to approach from a, just, I find, anyways, like a storytelling point of view. I don't know if you find the same thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think if I was going to, not that I would do this, but if, if mm. I was going to sort of rank order my my favourite chapters in the book, 
I'd probably appreciate towards the bottom. Mm. No sort of disrespect to him, but because he will come and find you if he thinks so. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean, though, because there's you're right. There's a lot of stories that I think are more. There's more kind of of an untold nature to them, and Mm. there's I think that the what's fascinating about what you do is, as you say, telling new stories that deserve to be heard. You know, and I think that's fascinating. Yeah, thank you. I think yeah, for like for someone like Parise, you know, you you know, you've, you've looked at the book, so you kind of know what I do. Mm. I try and find a sort of a hook at the start, you know, a particular aspect of their life or career that's that's really interesting, and then you you know, you lead it from there. So you know, Parise, I basically found that he he just sort of lost most of his international games. You know, he'd lost mm. 88 percent of his international games and all that. So you know, what the, what does that mean to a player, to a person, yeah. to go into so many games? You know, it runs where they lost every game in like three years, I think, or certainly every game against tier one opposition. So what, yeah, what does that, what does that sort of do, do to the man? So that, that's the kind of the bit that I, I sort of found interesting with, with him, I guess. Um, For sure. But yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. I think, you know, a few people have asked me about kind of Mavericks today and things like that. And I, you know, I do think they are still there. I mean, I think Finn Russell, I think Finn Russell definitely is one, I think, on the pitch. Mm. And I think, you know, I think off the pitch a bit as well. And there, there is a sort of hinterland there, you know, the, the years in the Stonemason's yard and all that sort of stuff. And I think Cipriani is someone that I, I'm probably a bit surprised about, really, you know, coming from it from a sort of Welsh point of view. You know, I did think he was just a bit of a stereotypical kind of posh English guy. He was obviously a mm. good player, but he was more interested in nightclubs and girls and stuff than than playing and I think there's there was a little bit of that in there but again there's a there's a sort of a context as to why he why he was like that he's not a posh guy at all his mum worked incredibly hard to get him where he was and I think he was I think he was like badly treated I think Eddie Jones treated him quite badly I think when under the right managers which he did have at certain times he could have been a, mm. you know a, could have achieved a lot more because he didn't he didn't really achieve much for England at all actually but yeah I think which again there's always I think with anything once you start like digging into it a bit more it becomes a bit more a bit more complicated you know if I wanted yeah. to give him an absolute hatchet job in there I couldn't have by the end of it because I felt sorry for him and I, I saw the, the Instagram video up after Caroline Flack yes, passed away and it was of incredibly course. seeing a bloke you know, a, a guy who I, I don't know in any way but seeing someone just like put themselves out there like completely open themselves up to the world you know whoever they are I think is always quite quite moving so yeah, yeah there are there are still mavericks out there but I, I think there are I think there are. I think there's. I think there's less room for it. I certainly don't think Joe Marl is a maverick. No. <laughs> no, no. He likes to think of himself as one. I've, I've got, I've got a word that rhymes with the second half of Maverick that I would call Joe Marla. <laughs> um, I'd call him a prick. I think it's really interesting what you say about if any, it, in a way, the definition of what a maverick is in rugby today has kind of changed. That like you, we talk about Finn Russell. Obviously, on the pitch, there is. I don't think anyone can argue that he is one of the bravest, kind of biggest, kind of risk takers in a rugby sense as possible. But like off the pitch. It's insane to think that his thing of, like when he came out a few months ago and said, oh, I'm aware I could be a much more physically gifted player, but I love burger and chips too much. And like, comparatively to how, to you know, the nth degree of like what professional athletes and rugby players specifically go through, like nutritiously and so on, like that does make him different from the norm. The amount of like nutrition, you know, dietitians and stuff, he will have told to fuck off essentially <laughs> so he can live his own life. Uh, in a sense, that does make him a maverick. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I think he has he has a he has a different view of the game. I think mm, mm. to to a lot of other people. I don't think he, you know, I think I think he still thinks of it as a game. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. as, as a bit of fun, which 
I think certainly quite a few of the guys in the olden olden days did. I mm. think as a release for them, this was this was really cool. This is really Lions trips were you know trips in a lifetime trips that you would never ever ever go on if it wasn't for this. Yeah, and you had to take three months off work. So you, mm. a lot of these guys lost their jobs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> for going on Lions trips. So you got to really want to do it. But yeah, like you know, I like I like Finn Russell. I'm kind of interested to see what what he does what he does next. What what the Scotland shake up looks like from this year. Oh. We were just talking about that before you appeared, but it it's all a mess. That's a whole state and who knows where that's going. (laughs) There are 400 pages (laughs) to be written on that. (laughs) Minimum. That's just on Finn and Gregor together. (laughs) So, right, to focus in a bit, there's a couple of players in the book that overlap with Zera. Unfortunately, one of them not being... Gavin Henson. But the game today is Wales' is somehow eventual 42-17 win over Canada. Wales and Canada's opening game of the 2007 World Cup, both of them were coming in on not great years, but years in which there had been mild causes of optimism. So Wales had had a pretty terrible Six Nations, then won the last game against England, and then not done particularly well in the warm-ups either. You know, they've been battered by England by 60-odd points at Twickenham. Whereas Canada, again, hadn't had a great year. You know, they got beaten by a lot of A-teams. A lot They had games against like New Zealand Maori, Island A, and they were battered comprehensively. But then the last game before the World Cup, well, no, they beat Portugal 42-12, and they beat the USA by 50 points. So both teams were kind of on mixed form, I guess. But uh, Luke, as a Wales fan, where were you around this World Cup? What are your memories of this tournament and, you know, the lead-in and this first game in particular? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that England the England warm-up game, mm. I think, is probably the, the worst Wales game I've ever watched, <laughs> I think. I watched it yeah. in a pub in Twickenham, weirdly. Oh, not, not, in, not in Twickenham, thank God, but in, in it... Twickenham. I watched Wales England with a friend of the pod, Ali Stokes, in a pub in Twickenham that had a massive picture of Martin Johnson on the entrance way. It wasn't that one, was it? Oh, it might it might have been. I I watched it with some some. I just I just graduated university oh, that, wow. that summer, mm. and I watched it with a bunch of my mates from uni who were English. And I think they just got they start. You know, they, it was one of those ones where they just stopped sort of celebrating once like. Yeah. Nine Mr. Try went in, or whoever it was, who scored that <laughs> day. and it was, it was the tries were really regular, weren't they? There was, there was one every yeah. five minutes. It was just, and they, I think they just sort of stopped, stopped celebrating. I think I just looked so distraught. So I watched, I actually watched this game on my own in a pub, mm. the Nags Head pub on Upper Street in Islington, which I don't think nice. it's there anymore. Um, so yeah, it's not long with London. Though. To commemorate you watching this game, there. <laughs> what, what, watched a lot. Yeah, we used to watch a lot of rugby there, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously would have would have seen you know the following year would have seen some really good stuff there in two thousand eight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, watched it there on my own. Not a lot along having moved to London. Couldn't lure any of my English mates out to watch Wales Canada. After what you'd been through, they dragged you out to watch Wales get battered by England. They owed you one. <laughs> I know. But you know, I've I've got like I've got three very small children at the moment, so like an afternoon on my own in the pub, probably with a, a copy of the Observer, you know, <laughs> it sounds yes. absolutely blissful. 
right now, even even with the, the huffing and puffing that Wales would do over the next sort of 80 minutes. But yeah, and I, I, it's weird, I kind of remember it. I think it's one of those things like when you when you go somewhere new, you kind of remember quite a lot of the early stuff. Yeah. But I couldn't remember anything really of the game, apart from a false memory of Gareth Thomas scoring a try. <laughs> so I remembered we won, and I remembered we like laboured a bit. Mm. That was that was it. So yeah, very nice to revisit it. And I watched it without knowing the score. So I watched it as of as almost as live as I could. That was you... it. I had no memory of this game whatsoever. And I thought I knew what happened. I felt like I'd seen at least highlights recently. Turns out I was completely off on all of it and I didn't recognise any of this game at all. It almost felt completely it felt like fan fiction from an era. And at halftime, I was like, oh, do, do Canada go on to win this? Like, is this an iconic victory that no one brings up? Honestly, it felt like kind of a parody of what being a Welsh rugby fan is like. Is yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, usually we... Uh, it, it's happened a lot just over the lifetime of any Welsh fan that you watch a lot of games where you go, you go into it going, well, Wales should win this comfortably. And then they have a bit of a scare or sometimes, you know, we lost to Georgia last year, you know, and you have situations like that. And this felt like a parody of that, of just like, oh yeah, well, Canada are like going to be like really convincingly the better team at half time, And it felt like a horrible fever dream. It, it's it's funny as well. Like the, the team feels like such a sort of a present team. Mm. Look at it and like, oh, I know all those players. You know, normally yeah. you look at these things. Oh God, that guy, I remember him. God, yeah. But now it's like, no, all... All 15 of the first 15, like big careers on all of them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they, they really they really struggled in Canada. The score was very unflattering on Canada, I would say, mm, by the time. It certainly was. Yeah. Like looking at that Welsh team. And I mean, as you say, the team comes up, you know, like, oh, this is a really strong side. When you see it's... that front row of Jenkins, <laughs> Reese, and Jones, you go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're winning this by 50 points. That's the starting Lions front row in the next tour. Yeah, you know, then you've got Alan Wynne Jones in the second row, who they mention repeatedly as young every time he's involved, which is great. Then you've got Shane Williams, World Player of the Year, the following year in the back line. You've got Mark Jones, really talented player. Tom Shanklin has a great year under Warren Gatlin coming up. You know, perfectly good player. Dwayne Peel, captaining Wales for the yeah, first time. Yeah, Peel, Kevin Morgan, like yeah. really experienced campaigners who have had some good campaigns before this. It's a really strong team with a stacked bench. Again. And like Peel was the starting nine for the Lions in the previous tour, one of the few bright sparks over that whole. Martin Williams, you know, like it's a really, really strong Welsh side. All listeners thinking like, oh, where's this going to go wrong? I can't wait. Uh, Luke, <laughs> do you do you have any like sort of favourite players that stand out from that Welsh team in this era? I mean, I you know Kevin Morgan, I would say would be my my favourite of the oh. of the backs there. Being a Swansea RFC fan going into the Ospreys sort of era, mm. you know, he was. He was absolutely fantastic at 15 for the for the Whites in the, the last years of the club club game. You know, always really enjoyed him. I mean, yeah, the front three, incredible, really. It's funny, like Matthew Matthew Reese uh, had a book out, had his autobiography out the same time I did. Absolutely huge. Oh wow! So we did a couple of so I kind of hang around with him a bit because we did a couple of book signings together, like joint book signings. How did you explain the setup of that book to Matthew Reese? I had quite a lot of time chatting to him to do so. Mm. So he did, you know, I think he did get a copy in the end. But it was quite funny because I didn't really sell many books of these things. But he did. Because it's like <laughs> me and him sitting next to each other at this table with our like stacks of books in front of us. 
and people coming along saying, oh, Matthew, I, I saw you play here, or I met your, you know, I know your mother from so-and-so, and then they look at me, <laughs> look at this book, I'm like, oh, hiya, and then go back to talking about Scarlett. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a lovely, he was a lovely guy, and I think, I think a little bit of an underrated player for, for Wales as well, actually, I think when they, Mm. You know, when people do the big list of great front row forwards, I think he's always not always perhaps as high as he should be. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it's a great team. I'm sure we'll get to this. You know, the, the problems are perhaps uh, up in the stands rather mm. than on, yeah. the, on the pits. But yeah, but it was a decent, it was a strong Canada team as well. I mean, obviously less familiar, yeah. but looking into who they were playing for and that kind of thing. And a lot of them played for top, top clubs. At yeah. That time. Oh, and if you look through that Canada squad, as you say, it's, it's a pretty good Canada squad and they still have a reasonable number of locally based players or players playing in Canada but when you look at them they're Aaron Carpenter who is a youngster who goes on to you know play for them for another 15 years Pat Reardon goes on to captain them a couple of World Cups time you had Adam Kleberger goes on to be their player of the tournament the following World Cup you had a young uncaptain called Nate Hiriyama who would go on to play for them for another three World Cups yeah Um, Sevens legend as well yeah it's just kind of constantly the majority of the players who are locally you know young winger when comes in wins his third cap in this game called dth van der merver playing in for james bay at the time goes <laughs> on the river james world bay. cups yeah like all of their players who aren't as you say currently playing at big clubs go on to have big futures it's a mix of players who are currently kind of peaking as it were mm. you know they're like there's a well there's a bunch throughout that team like Sure, Michael Stephen was playing for Bezier at the time and was apparently right, like yeah. their player of the season the year going in. In amongst horrific all the lid other... on him, though. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, we don't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> he's Sean, Sean Dash, Michael Stephen, as well, isn't he? I like to yes. look that up. Yes, I was thinking yeah. of Heartbreak Kid, WWF. <laughs> I had to look it up and I was like, wow, that's a, that's a bad name. <laughs> it's just a list, it's just a list of guys. <laughs> It's just, it's a register. Someone is reading out the register and they go, but if you start reading through that, that Canadian team, you've got from eight, nine, you're going short Michael Stephen, Morgan William. Yes. Ander Munro. I think, you know, all of the, all of the surnames in this Canadian team are taken up in Daniel Howman van der Merwe. Like he's hogging all of the surnames in that team. Everyone else is just, Straight first names. Also, you, you mean you mean the South African Van der Merwe to quote the commentator oh. twice. I think he had the key. I think yeah, he said the, the South African Van der Merwe, and who's the other one? The uh, Culp- the Kiwi Culpin. Yes, Kiwi mm. Culpin. Yeah, didn't say when... the Kiwi Parker though. For us, no. But like Craig Culpin was born in British Columbia. He's Canadian. <laughs> He's Canadian. Let it go. Like he lived in New Zealand for a bit as a as a kind of teenager, as a kid and a teenager, then moved back to Canada. Like, let it go. <laughs> to quote James Bay once again. <laughs> of course, the really important thing in that Canada team, right, is for anyone that listened to our series on 2011, I was so excited to realise that my favourite player in all of the world, the Titanium 10 himself, Ander Monroe was back. Words out of my mouth. Who <laughs> I adore. He was a fly half who played like a number eight and also <laughs> was an incredible fly half. Like he played like like the kind of when you see occasionally like Falatau or Surveyor or someone will do a great kick and you go, cool, you know, you can play him at 10. Except he did play at 10 and he was great. I what <laughs> what Monroe is like is when the first team number eight has come back from injury and needs to play a game of thirds to check he's up to speed. He's like <laughs> yes. that permanently. 
What a fly off. What a fly off. Love him. So excited to see him back there. I also discovered around this that he is the grandson of Hector Monroe, the Baron Monroe of Langholm, which is a ridiculous title and was a like pioneer of flight in Scotland, which wow. is absolute nonsense. But uh, <laughs> I have no idea what anything you just said it, means. It, Hector Monroe, Baron Monroe of Langholm, sounds like, like a vampire. It's a vampire's <laughs> title, which is what I take that Ander Monroe was a vampire, and that's why he was picked to 10. He was kind of like a controversial pick. He was a kind of youngster when they had the, the more preferred Ryan Smith, who was playing for Montalban at the time, and also Derek Daypuck, who had been played, which is a incredibly Canadian name. It certainly is. You've got Derek and a reference to hockey in his name. Um, <laughs> played for them on the previous tour. They played Wales a year earlier in the Millennium Stadium, where Wales had won 61-26. And he'd played 10 in that game. It um, should be a breeze then. Yeah, so it should have been really easy. You know, they played them twice in the lead up in this kind of World Cup cycle since last World Cup. They played them once in Toronto, uh, where Wales had won 60 points to three, and then once in Cardiff, where Wales had won 61-26. This should be really easy. As we go I think the, the whole thing was cursed from the moment Bob Simmons on commentary says, ah, and now we're in the beautiful city of Nantes, which has turned into a Welsh province. And I thought, this is not going to age well, because I know that city for one reason and <laughs> one reason alone. <laughs> yeah, I did I did like Bob Simmons' voice, though. Mm, mm. I thought he had a lovely voice. Yeah, good commentator. There wasn't wasn't much about him online at all. No, to work for HTV. I think I guess he must be must have been quite an old man, maybe in two thousand seven. I think he must be quite long retired. But yeah, it's lovely. You know, I thought he's a lovely voice, quite sort Mm. of posh, sort of Monmouth to school teacher sort of voice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was a big uh, fan of Bob Simmons. Yeah, got a lot of time for him. His very steady he does his research he learns the players he turns up he commentates on the game he has no no personality or opinions on the game no ego for what he does yeah. yeah i liked him taking a moment to the presenter introducing the game says nonce not a city it's got a great deal of rugby heritage there's no rugby happening up there haha then bob simmons gives you a brief introduction a brief history of all rugby and nonce ever which is incredibly detailed <laughs> and he talks about when he came to a game 40 years ago which was one of the most iconic ever and he apologizes for it being a personal anecdote <laughs> and i love that bless him he's very cuddly isn't he bob simmons. he is yeah got a lot of time for him as well before we do the national anthems mm. uh, not that we're going to do the national anthems <laughs> we don't need to do that but they so there's, there's a moment of silence for sir tasker yes. watkins before the game mm. uncle tasker um yes legendary welsh not only rugby player but war veteran and just just general, like, if there was anything that needed doing in Wales, he basically <laughs> did it for, like, a decade. Um, mm. And there's now a statue outside him in the Millennium Stadium. And there was Eddie Butler did a really good piece on him for the BBC a few mm. years back, which I don't know if that's yeah. online, but if it is, it was extremely <clears throat> worth watching. And I learned a lot, which is mad, because he's our uncle. And we should have known oh, really? all that anyway. He's wow. well, he's our grandparents' uncle. Yeah. Which, he's Whatever that makes you. Great, which great thing uncle. is that... That's yeah. yeah. So the the great or is it cuz no it's great great he's mm. yeah related to our grandmother and they knew <laughs> each other and grew up together. Wow. So a bit of it is that you know Wales isn't that big and you're bound to <laughs> if you if you know if you get 20 guests on this podcast from Wales one of them will be related to Tasker Watkins no doubt. 
but yeah so I grew up with you know hearing stories about him and grandma always having things to say about how kind and generous and warm a person he always was he went to Victoria Cross didn't he yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. like as highly decorated as someone yeah. can be yeah, yeah, and then yeah. went on to become chairman of the Welsh Rugby Union because he just loved rugby and that was you know a great passion in his life we've tried really? we've tried we've look that's it the next way was like, the fiji game right we're gonna get a spirit medium in and they're gonna try and contact from the dead both tasker watkins and that welsh team the welsh <laughs> national identity <laughs> that died during that game <laughs> That's very cool, though, to have him in the family, because, yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember watching that Eddie Butler thing, an incredibly impressive, mm. impressive mm. man. And I think what he did in World War Two, he was so young as well, at 21, 22, like, wow. as an officer and stuff. So, yeah, yeah fair play. So, yeah, nice, nice, nice minute of silence there. Yeah. yeah. We didn't mean that as a boasting about a family. That wasn't. No. Yeah. Uh, which like, which world is actually you related to, Luke? This is... <laughs> I don't think I am, unfortunately. There's a very famous Welsh rugby player called Billy Upton from Swansea who mm. people seem to think I'm related to but I am I am not there's three different oh. Upton families in Swansea and we're not not his one I'm afraid so no <laughs> just getting huge no Alan Alan, Alan Wynne-Jones was a year below me in school that's probably the wow. closest thing I've got to being related to any rugby players you can't now. skim over that you've got that's as good a name drop as physically possible <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know him you know but he, yeah, he was here below me in, in, in Bishop Gore School in, wow. in Swansea. Big big lad even then. Um, <laughs> he was in school for years, I think the first three years. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Clandovery College. Mm-hmm. So yeah, left left the comprehensive school and went to the uh, went to the, the nice school in Clandovery. But yeah, he was he was very, very big from a young age. I think he was almost too big uh, when he was like year eight playing rugby. I think he sort of disrupted the strum a bit and stuff. Um, mm. But yeah. Uh, Obviously, he came into himself a little bit later on. I think it's fair to say. Do you... And his dad was my dad's solicitor as well. So oh wow! Wow. Do it all as well. He's a big. He's a big lad as well, Mister Mister Jones Senior. He was a big lad. So mm-hmm. yeah, good good family. But yeah, not not related to anyone. I don't think. Not that I'm aware of anyway. Right. If someone that was a year below me in school went on to play football for England, I may not have known about it until you find out years later. You know, like, was it clear yeah. at that point that there was something different and he was special? Or was it just something you realised years later? And you're like, oh, he was the kid from the hit below. Like, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, at the time, I kind of I kind of knew of it just because he, he was just, and there's a, quite a funny photo that does the round sometimes of, like, his class and stuff where he is clearly, like, a, a, a head taller than, mm. than everyone else. I think everyone knew he was quite big. I think he punched one of my friends in primary school. Oh, yes. That, that's, his, that's his claim to fame, was that he was punched by Alan Wynne-Jones. <laughs> yeah. in um, that's the dream. I think, I, I think, yeah, I think everyone sort of knew he was big and quite good. And then he went away to, to, to private school. Mm. Um, but obviously he still played for, for Bonner Mine. And mm, he sort of yeah. played with like lads that I was in school with. And then he obviously kind of rocked up at Swansea RFC at like 17 or something like that. But yeah, I mean... You know, school obviously very, you know, very proud of him. And he's been he's been back to Bishop Court a few times for I think for sports days stuff like that. And obviously oh, wow. he lives in he lives in Mumbles, so he lives mm-hmm. he lives where he's where he grew up. But yeah, yeah, he's uh, it's nice to see his little blonde flax coming out of his uh, scrum cap in this game as well. Nod yes. to the sort of surfing heritage of where he's from. <laughs> well, it is just, as I mentioned. Like every time Alan Wynn gets the ball, it is uh, the youngster Alan Wynn Jones, very young second row Alan Wynn Jones, which feels so weird now. But the thing is, you know, this was 
by the end of the year, this could be five World Cups ago for him. Like it's yeah. really yeah. different era of Alan Wynn. Could, could join the five club. Early yeah. on in the game, he gets dump tackled by DTH van der Merwe. Oh my God. How insane is that? And like DTH probably murders him. Like He picks and him up, drops him back because Alan Wynn drops the ball. Completely legal. Ridiculous. Nails him. Yeah. You've just you've just got to hand it to DTH. Like mm. D- I thought DTH was really good in this game, particularly in the first half. But it was very much like the tone around it was like, oh yeah, it's this promising youngster who's coming. And but the thing is, like to us, that's like, oh yeah, that's a Canadian legend. That's one of the best players of all time. Yeah, yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're pretty much into the game yeah, now, so aren't we? we're still, so, Yeah. I mean, from the off, I think Canada looked like the more comfortable team, like straight away from the start, because their kicking game from the start is just fantastic. So they have... We've mentioned Andy Monroe, we've mentioned Morgan Williams, and then they've got the Kiwi from British Columbia, Craig Culpin, playing in the centres with Dave Spicer, who I'm not familiar with. But the axis of all of those players was that it's quite a modern tactic of getting outside of the 10 channel, bringing you know, the opposition's kind of wingers up and playing with their back three a little bit and then sticking it in behind, which Canada just seem to have down to a T, which mm. they're the first team I've seen in this World Cup that have done that like as a tactic. So their coach, Rick Suggett, who was a highly celebrated coach who'd actually come through women's rugby and had coached the Canadian oh. initially sevens and then Canadian women's 15s teams and then moved on to the men's 15s. He died, he had a very sudden brain aneurysm about five years oh, ago now man. and died very yeah, suddenly. But he was really highly thought of as a as a coach and as a kind of tactician, which is why they kept moving him forwards and kind of basically bumping him up jobs as it was as it was seen at the time in yeah. Canadian rugby and moving him from, you know, very he basically ended up coaching. Yeah. yeah. Yes. He ended up coaching all four kind of the national teams and the men's women's the men's and women's fifteens and sevens, which I don't think I don't know if anyone else has ever done that. Yeah. Anyone else How has ever been involved? People there. could have done that a top end international job. Like yeah. it, it might happen with like some of the really lower down kind of like ranked nations um from both the men's and women's game. But for a World Cup team that's just unheard of. Yeah. yeah. So, great, great Canadian name as well. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Rick Suggett. Uh, he also... Great celebration from him. <laughs> you know, a really, like, enthusiastic. Yes. Like, mm. Brilliant, you know, like, Look, what you he, want to see. He's celebrating like he's the on-field captain, isn't he? Like, every time yeah. they score a try or get a big turnover or something. And I think that's great, like, the energy he clearly pumps into these mm. players. And, like, you can tell that and it sounds almost cliched, but you can tell that this is a group who really believe in what they're being coached off the field. There's a moment when they turn Wales over, when Wales are in the 22 in the first half, 
and it cuts up to him and she's saying he's really celebrating it in the stands. And it is the celebration of a coach who thinks this is a game we can win rather than a mm-hmm. coach who thinks we're punching above our weight or a coach who's, you know, kind of conceded himself that we're going to keep the score down. It's he has a he has a look on his face the whole time of this is our chance to win a game against a Six Nations team. Yeah. Because they clearly see Wales are faltering a bit in the lead into that year and they probably targeted this game as the big one that they can win. And Canada are by so far the better team in that first half. Yeah. Like they look the mentally eventual- stronger by yeah. miles. Like, yes, the eventual scoreline of forty two seventeen flatters Wales, but the scoreline of seventeen nine at half time flatters Wales. Yeah. 100%. And like from the start, Monroe is just attempting drop goals from anywhere within yeah. sort of 40 metres of the Welsh try line. And there's such an air of confidence to everything Canada do. And as I say, like their kicking game is absolutely on point. And it's only natural that once they've chased absolutely everything, the legs start to slow down a little bit in the second half. Yeah, but yeah. They're just fantastic in the first half and they're just such a joy to watch. I think to, for them to start so well and then Wales looked like they sort of took the sting out of it a bit, got a few kicks. And, you know, when you when you normally watch the lower ranked team versus the bigger boy, you know, they have a spell and then it's like that was their chance. But the way that they came right back into it, took the lead and then built on the lead after half time. And then even towards the end of the second half, you know, they had chances, didn't they? That they didn't yeah. you know, they didn't take. But it wasn't just one spe- one decent spell and several good spells throughout the game. I mean, we were, you know, we were a little bit wasteful as well. But yeah, absolutely. Like 79. Delighted to have gotten in with that score. Yeah. yeah, and I think two of the kind of two moments that sum up the game are from very similar positions. James Hook at 10 for Wales and Adam Monroe at 10 for Canada. Both go for exactly the same kick, trying to pin it five metres out from the line. James Hook kicks it dead by a country mile from his and then Adam Monroe nails it into the corner. And it's just like yeah. that tiny percentage of both of them seeing the same thing and having the skill set to execute the same thing. But one of them is doing it and I think has a kind of level of focus on this game that means that they're doing it perfectly. Whereas James Hook does not though i should be careful with the story i mentioned on the <laughs> previous podcast about criticizing him hook is thoroughly outplayed by a monroe i would say uh, yeah um, while he's on the field um that's sort of he gets hooked off about 10 minutes into the second half like really mm. really early but i Just mean like he does james yeah, yes exactly he he does land some really good goal kicks to get wales nine nil up like there's a point where he misses a goal kick early on it comes off the off the post cannon just sort of like try and run it out and then give away a stupid penalty uh inside the 22 gives him a much easier kick and i write down oh, okay and then i go hang on this is james Hulk we're on about. <laughs> uh, and he does get it he does get it but yeah like he he puts some good kicks in to um send wales to a nine nil lead but you still think like Wales are punching off their weight here. Mm. Yeah. P- I thought Peel, I mean, Peel was second best as well. Yeah, I think. yeah, I think yeah. I mean, Gallant never really liked Peel that much, did he? And I think young, fresh-faced Mike Phillips came on, didn't he, in this game? And obviously by, well, well, by the by the Six Nations, Mike Phillips is is the boy, isn't he, at nine? Yeah. But yeah, yeah I thought Peel, I thought Peel was... Yeah, was was overshadowed quite badly. I mean, yeah, I thought I thought Stephen Jones was fantastic when he came on. You know, I mean, I think oh. I think Shankland was probably the best the best back. I thought Shane Williams was quite wasteful actually, despite getting two tries. I think he could have had a couple more. But yeah, I thought Shankland. I sort of forget a little bit. I think what a good player Tom Shankland was because he's still such a big kind of media presence and he looks yeah. identical to how he looked then. As well. <laughs> yeah, it was funny on the weekend seeing like Shane Williams, Shankland, and Peel doing their little media bit of course, yeah. Scarlet's game. And then it's like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> I just saw these three, like, this <laughs> afternoon, looking, broadly speaking, the same, 15 years on. I think that's why this team is so present, because so many of them are kind of still 
sort of in the public eye or, or what have you. That's um, it. All of them in different positions. All of them are about some, you know, Martin Williams is the world's team manager. Uh, yeah. Mark Jones was coaching at Worcester, was, you know, offered a job by England. Uh, yeah. Jones and Quinns. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Walker was like a celebrated S&C coach. Yeah, Geffen Jenkins, you say, recently arrived Wales. Alan Wynne-Jones is still playing. Jonathan Thomas, likely. There's, there's three points in this yeah. game where we can hear Jonathan Thomas on the ref mic yell, turnover, turnover. And on none of them, there's a turnover. Uh, but he's just <laughs> very optimistic. And I think that is exactly the kind of skills that Gatlin is looking to bring him in as a breakdown coach, if those rumours are true. That's exactly what he wants. Just someone to be enthusiastic about turnovers. There's something on the... The thing about turnovers is something that really stood out as well is even Alan Rowland obviously goes on to be a, well, he goes on to be a villain. Yes. Both be a celebrated and acclaimed ref and then a villain further on. Really jarring looking at this kind of, we talk about like the high tackles and all of that standing out and that being different and tip tackles and what have you, but just the standard of refereeing and how often Wales in particular getting away of tackling from offside positions. And there's one point where Adam Jones has not retreated to anywhere near the ruck and just tackles the scrum off and gets away with it yes and there's a couple of moments like that where you just go this would not fly nowadays like the standard the refereeing has changed completely you've got a couple where you go like oh it's martin williams that's fine like he knows yeah, how to get yeah. away with those but you have a couple where you go like sonny parker where the fuck did you learn to cheat and break the rules and all the time <laughs> and stuff like, i never had him down as one of those oh they you never know. mention sonny parker's from new zealand do they yeah yeah that's no. what craig colpin all the time disgraceful it's disgraceful but yeah, no, you're right. Like, really bizarre kind of like vibes reffing going on um, throughout this. They don't, they don't mention him playing cricket, though, do they? He's a dual no. international, isn't he? Of course. Of course. Oh. Forgot about that. Just a drop. And if you're doing your Alan Roland facts, that's always the third one, isn't it? Playing, <laughs> playing cricket for Ireland. Wow. Yeah, I just saw Alan Roland and then I saw Hook trying to get some kicks away and it began to sort of feed away in my the next World Cup in my head. So yeah. I began to bring back a few memories of Hook looking a little pained. And yeah, tried to tried to block that out. But yeah, I thought I thought you know I thought it was a very entertaining game. I liked how the Ooh. commentator was trying to frame this as like a, a Celtic day of rugby. You know, yeah, like this is a, one of a, a series of matches. But yeah, I think if you like you do in the World Cup, if you just stick on a game that you don't really care about just to entertain yourself after Sunday dinner, I think you I think you'd enjoy it. You know, Ooh, quite absolutely. a lot. Uh, I, yeah, I felt I, I felt a bit sorry for for Canada. I think that by the end, I thought funny t- talking about the team. The one the one player actually that came on and surprised me was Colin Chavez. Mm. In my head, he's he's not quite this era. I know, that, I know he finished at this World Cup, but he was the only player when he came on. I was like, ah, right, okay. Colin Colin Chavez, yeah. I think that led to the the, the, the lines about the tightness, tightness of the shirts as well, didn't it, from the commentary? Yes. Yeah, they got really hung up on that briefly, about how tight the Welsh yeah. shirts were. <laughs> Will Green were talking about it being sprayed on and, or, you know, um, Frank Cotton Dor- retired if he had to walk. No, Dorian West. Dorian, Dorian West. West. Yeah. Little, little, little joke about his old pal there. But it's funny, like, if you, I remember, like, Chavez's first, like, first game mm. was in, you know, 96. And I think it was, I think it was mm. Jonathan Davis's last game. Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> so it's, like, quite a nice little run through from God knows when Jonathan Davis made his debut to Alan Wynn Jones with just, like, two or three jumps. Mm. So players. Colin Chavis nearly played with both Jonathan Davises if he'd played for another year. Oh, maybe. he might have played against because he. Cause, <laughs> so he I thought about this earlier for another couple of years. So Alan, Alan Wynne Jones played with both Gareth Thomases for Wales. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Charvo nearly could have matched him on that, but I guess I guess <laughs> some of them will have played Ch- with two Thomases. But Chavis will have played against 
Jonathan Davis, I reckon. Yeah. For, mm. Newport, this is I reckon. Last game was in 2009, Charvis. Yeah, they overlapped. Up. Yeah. yeah. They have overlapped. And Foxy's first cap was in 2009, so. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, so maybe may, not in international, but they will have they will have shared a field. He will have shared a field with both Jonathan Davises. There's there's a fun stat for you. Can we talk some Canadian tries while we're uh, while we're hyping yes. them up? I think there's the Jamie Cudmore try, which happens really up, quite early on. It's as soon as Wales have stretched their nine nil lead, and you almost wish that against Wales, like you want Canada to score because they deserve it. So they really so deserve to be ahead, and so they hadn't quite had a clean cut chance up until then. Mm. But like Morgan Williams puts an absolutely brilliant box kick in the lead yeah. up as well. Plays absolutely perfectly. He was, he had the first half in particular, he was absolutely phenomenal. Exactly what you want from, if you're a tier two nation, exactly what you want from your captain. That sheer accuracy, command, passion, clearly playing like he was the guy who knew exactly what he was doing. He'd been around the block, you know, had been playing for them since the 99 World Cup, had been around for plenty of time at this point. Yeah, and was his kicking was excellent. He made snipes. He takes one quick tap that almost leads to a try for Monroe, but you can't take it. And then eventually, yeah, they get into this position, and Monroe switches the play in that in a very rugby eight way, um, <laughs> and it somehow creates the space that gets them up to with a meter of the line. And after a series of pick and goes, who should be there but prime arch bastard himself, Jamie Cudmore, a hard man of rugby, if ever you've seen one. I mean. Sometimes overstepping the line, but a character nonetheless, Cudmore. He 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 was on the long list for hard man of rugby, actually. Mm. But I think quite a lot of the stuff he did, there was some sort of legal issues around what you could say about it, because obviously none <laughs> right. of it's illegal. So I, I went with uh, I went with Norm Hadley actually instead. Oh, nice. Canadian okay, guy from the golden era of Canadian mm. rugby. So yeah, I, thought, I kind of went with him, and there were some good stories of him. And yeah, he's, he wasn't involved in some of the things that Jamie Cudmore was <laughs> apparently involved with. But I think we can I think we can probably say he was involved with now. I think they are on record, aren't they? Yeah, I mean um, yeah. He... But yeah, great great try that one. Yeah. No, and then just as you think Canada get themselves back in the game and you're thinking, you know what, they really deserve that. Just as you think, oh but you know, it's gonna slip away. I've got written in my notes that Canada look the better team than just in all caps, Shane. Shane. Oh man just the feeling of, and we, I think we discussed this in 2011, right? But like the feeling of watching Shane Williams play is something that excites me every time we do a Wales game on this podcast mm. now. Because like, I mean, there was an earlier one where he got the ball, sidestepped Pike, and then threw this like 30 meter pass to Kevin Morgan, who had a run down the wing. But this one where there's a bit of a, a bit of a break, and Shane gets the ball in midfield. And it looks like there is absolutely nothing on. And he steps like half the Canadian back line. And it's one of those really unique things that only happen with Shane Williams and a few select other players where he would just make other players look rapid because they put them in like loads <laughs> of space. And Ian Goff, yeah. right? <laughs> N- not known for his speed. I think he wouldn't mind me saying. But he looked like Mar Nonu running here as... He got the ball, yeah. skinned someone on the outside, and did a dummy switch pop to Matthew Reese on the wing. That was where... it. I was wondering who put a scrum cap on Wasali Sarevi. Yes. Like, what <laughs> happened there? Like, why is, why is Brian O'Driscoll now into anti-vaxxing conspiracy theories? <laughs> 
It was insane. Like, but again, it's one of those things that like Shane put him in that much space that no matter how quick you are, yeah. makes everyone look like sevens players, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Leaves Matthew Reese meter out from the line, Wales in the complete ascendancy. This was a prime era of rugby where defenses backtrapped far less, quick mm. nowhere near as quick as they do nowadays. Like it's a feature you see nowadays in almost any defense. They're pretty much set up like a second or so after the ruck, like it's impossibly quick, the rate at which people get back. But that wasn't the case here, even if defence was of a reasonable standard. And so the Canadian defence, you look up, and they have basically two guys back across their entire line. And James Hook looks up and goes, brilliant. They've only got two guys across their entire line. That means I've only got to avoid passing to one of them. <laughs> it's just that point where I'm thinking, like, this is a phenomenal Welsh attack. This is incredible. Yeah. Shit! <laughs> Because James Hook throws that pass. He's five metres from the Canadian try line, and he throws that pass with the most conviction I've ever seen someone throw a pass. There is so much confidence behind the pass he throws, which goes perfectly into Culpin's hands five metres from the Canadian he's, line. He's got about, let's say, 15 options he could take, right? 13 of them result in a Welsh try. One of them results in Wales being on the attacking on the canadian goal line and one of them results in a canadian try <laughs> and he takes the last option that there, there are there are glimpses of the fiji game aren't there in these moments yes there yes. are you know the lights are on the dashboard just little warnings of certain decision making <laughs> the wrong the wrong thing at the wrong time and then enjoying the openness a bit too much i think yeah as well like, oh, I've got loads of space. Brilliant. I could just do this stuff. It's like, well, you know, hang on. <laughs> but yeah, shout out to Matthew Reese on the wing, though. Oh, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I, I actually paused the video and I'm like, yeah, that's, that is that, <laughs> that, is that Matthew Reese out there. Yeah. Shame I mean, it didn't go over. Start of the second half, Matthew Reese runs a hell of an angle <sighs> to make a breakthrough. Oh, yeah. Or to a try as well. Like, Matthew Reese has a, quietly has a great game while mm. everyone else is imploding around him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Culpin runs 100 metres yes. to finish that try. It's a fantastic finish by him because there's a couple of moments where you go, like, oh, I think he's going to get caught. James Pritchard runs a brilliant support line to block Kevin Morgan from getting yeah. to him and allows him to dive over in the corner. And Canada go in 12-9 up at half time, and you just think nothing but fair play. This is shit. <laughs> yep. It's the kind of thing that James Pritchard was great at was those kind of small technical moments. Like mm. him as a winger was almost ahead of his time. They're wingers that are far more popular nowadays in the way back then you kind of put them all at fullback. They're kind of like more technical players. And so seeing him on the wing was an interesting thing. Yeah, he runs his line brilliantly. You're as right, you like say, the Andrew yeah. Conways and Jack Knowles of the world. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And Emiliano Buffelli as well. Yes. Um, a bit of me was sort of relieved. Canada got another try and it, you were able to point it and go, no, they were, they were eight points ahead at half time and they probably could have been 15 20 ahead at half time based on kind of balance of play they were much better and then you get into the second half as you say two things happen at once Matthew Reese runs that angle and Andy Monroe goes down in that same passage of play and even though he gets back up and he he continues on Wales then go right okay and they just bring on Stephen Jones and Gareth Thomas it's there's you think like they need Alfie on immediately because yeah. they're it's Dwayne Peel's first time captaining Wales but there generally seems such an air of panic. And so bringing on those two specifically at the same time, you suddenly think, okay, we might win this now. So 
Morgan Williams scores at the start of the second half as well, oh, just yeah, to elongate Welsh panic. He makes his ta- does his tap and go, makes a break, gets tackled not far short of the line. And once again, just Canada are really patient in their build-up of it. Mm. And then eventually, yeah, Morgan Williams sees kind of a gap in a ruck because there's kind of one of those things where we've got like two rucks sat next to each other and they're kind of intertwined. And then there's it's Alan Wynne Jones is on the fringe of it and he kind of doesn't know which one to mark. And then Morgan Williams just dives through the middle of both of them and finishes another, you know, extremely deserved try for Canada. Yeah, really well taken. Yeah, yeah. He started with a break himself as well in the lead mm. up. Just part of him having a really excellent sort of first hour or so in particular. Yeah, I think Park Parker's at fault for part of that try, isn't he? Mm. I think, and then he's then he gets the hook, doesn't he? Yeah. After, I think. Yeah. But yeah, really enjoyed really enjoyed that try. And yeah, I would have you know, I'm sure at the time I would have been thinking, right, you know, half time, come out now, get a few points on the board. I I would have sunk into my seat, I'd say, when that went over. That yeah. just showed that Canada were building in confidence. It would have been a good half time, but yeah, we managed to um, managed to dig it out. Twenty five unanswered points, or whatever it would be in the second half, or more, more than that, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what starts immediately when Stephen Jones comes on. His first touch, yeah. he throws this wide ball to Shanklin, who breaks the line. Second touch, he gets held up himself over the line after Shanklin gets stopped just short. And his third touch, he then gives the pass for Sonny Parker to score the first try right before, as you say, he's hooked mm. off. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, Instant, Parker takes that on the switch. His impact, yeah, runs a runs a good line. Parker does, but it's Stephen Jones has clearly mapped that out for a few phases of like I know exactly what we're going to run here. I know exactly how they're defending, having watched the game for fifty minutes. Yeah, and Clay knows exactly what needs to be done. There's another point as well where Wales are under the cosh and he puts in a twenty-two to twenty-two kick. Stephen Jones, yes, uh, it's, he's just unbelievable within sort of five ten minutes of coming on. Yeah, and again that puts Wales in the position where we then get these two Canadian halfbacks that have been excellent for the first 50-odd minutes, first hour, essentially. Then, out of nowhere, having, as I said, been, been fantastic, Morgan Williams throws an absolutely terrible pass to Andrew Monroe's face, which he then tries to regather, tries to bring down, fumbles completely, drops behind him, tries to just kick anywhere he can. It fumbles. Williams himself tries to regather it. It's sort of just bouncing around everywhere. It's... Properly chaotic. It's like that that Bristol incident a few weeks ago. Yes, it's I like just... every try in 1987 is what it was like. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's proper crap 80s football, but rugby <laughs> and in the noughties. And what's amazing is that Alan Wynne Jones scores off the back of this, and it's like, oh wow, Alan Wynne Jones really has been playing since the 80s. Because <laughs> um, like, as like Williams, has, Morgan Williams for Canada has been fantastic. He's been one of the best players on the field. I have him down as a man of the match contender in my notes. He's utterly fantastic, but in the last 20 minutes, bless him, he kind of goes to shit. Like, that pass is way above Monroe's head, and as you say, completely off balance, he tries to kick the ball, and it goes about three metres, eventually into the hands of Alan Wynne-Jones, who just kind of goes like, oh, right, so do I just score here now? And drives over for what must be one of his first Welsh tries. Second Welsh try. Second, Second Welsh try. Yeah, proper 1987 try there, but it puts Wales back ahead, so... Was there an added connection at this sort of time with him being from your school, or did you not really care? Oh no, yeah, we, yeah, we were, we knew he was. There was a, there was often a bit of contention in that he was described as going to Clandovery College. Oh, and it's like, come on, the fee-paying school, come on. <laughs> uh, so we often, often bristle a little bit at that when, when that was he was described as from there. But yeah, that is partly true. But it needs, there needs to be two schools where he's where he's from. But yeah, yeah, we were we were quite aware of him. The other person mm. that was from my sort of era, who was a very good player and had a couple of Wales caps, but never never 
kicked on Beyond Sevens is Richie Pugh. Oh, yeah. I kind of remember him. Mm. He was incredible. I mean, I remember he was in my primary school and he was an incredibly talented player. Like he, wow. People knew him from very, very young age where he was superb mm. and he always was. But I think, yeah, he just, I mean, he played a few times for Wales, played quite with the Ospreys, but he was kind of on the sevens circuit. And yeah. I think it's quite hard to sort of square being a being a, a sevens regular and a, but it's impossible, basically. Yeah. Being a being a fifteens regular. But he's he's involved in coaching now and stuff like that. He's quite well mm. quite well thought of. But yeah, yeah, we, we did we did know kind of who he was, but obviously had no idea that he would he'd be playing in like fifteen years or sixteen <laughs> no. years time. Hence, I mean, had no idea. And I think I think he may have still been Alan Alan Jones, I think, in certain places. I was still mm. I think kind of, I think there's still there's still people who are a bit unsure, aren't they, as to where the win comes. The WRU squad announcement for this World Cup on the WRU website has it hyphenated to <laughs> double barrel Alan Wynn Jones. But then you've still got the commentator calling him Wynn Jones. Yeah. Which was just more forgivable then than yeah. it is now. But, you know, I think I it think... was just Alan Jones' call. I think. Mm. Ah. I, don't think I don't think there was a. But then I had kind of no reason to remember if there was or not. But I think I think yeah. it was just, just Alan Jones. I'll tell you what, the fact your I mate got think... punched by Alan Jones isn't quite as good a claim to fame. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I mean, there's plenty of Alan Joneses throwing punches in Wales, aren't there? But there's only one Alan <laughs> Wynne Jones. No. Maybe that's why he did it. He just made it up to sound iconic. <laughs> Would he have stayed in the team if he was just called Alan Jones? Would that guy have had a 15 It's like how actors career? change their names, isn't it? To yeah. stand out from the crowd. <laughs> well, it is, it is like that, isn't it? Sometimes being a Welsh rugby fan, when you're like, when there are so many, like Gareth Jones, which, which kind of which Gareth Jones from the Scarlets? Oh, which, which one's that? Which one's that now? You know what I mean? It's like there's a real period of that, wasn't there? When there was a lot, yeah. an awful lot of very similar names. And if you're not completely bang on, you're sort of Scarlet Squad players. It's very easy to get them mixed up. <laughs> so, yeah, it probably, probably makes sense, doesn't it? Give no yourself one a else... I guess Jonathan Davis. That's I guess it. Jonathan Fox mm. Davis, Cub Davis. Otherwise, they're such generic names, aren't they? No other net country has a problem where if you were to make a all time, like, 30-man squad feasibly at least two players have got the same name <laughs> like if both foxy yeah. and jiffy are in there they've got the same name just as we've well both got infamous nicknames we watched 87 jiffy's not in there but well yeah <laughs> but yeah so we then let's keep going let's power through the other yeah we'll rattle through they these come, they'll come really soon after another so shane williams scores two tries in two minutes three minutes after Alan Wynn's try, which were all well taken. In the middle, though, he does have a bizarre moment where he breaks out from his own try line, gets up to halfway, then just fumbles the ball and falls over. The sniper gets in, doesn't it? Yeah. He thinks about passing the ball and then just forgets which one's passing it and which one's dropping it. <laughs> a very bizarre moment. But his second try was particularly a beauty where Shanks makes this sort of 40-odd metre break and Alfie, Gareth Thomas, gets in support really, really nicely. Mm. Puts in this really nice kick to just within sort of five metres of the Canadian try line. Morgan Williams is back there on his own and ends up fumbling it. Wales turn it over and they're just so efficient in their chase and getting upfield. And they kind of panic and just see how wide they can get it until eventually it just ends up in Shane's hands and they just go, yeah, you can just finish this one. Shanklin straightens up really nicely. Uh, yeah. Stephen Jones's ball to put him in is really fantastic, lovely and precise. No, yeah. again, like not to just wank over Stephen Jones constantly, but he knows exactly the ball he's throwing, exactly where he wants it to go. 
has eyed up the Canadian defence perfectly, knows this needs what this requires is Shanklin straightening so that we're yeah. not all drifting and we doesn't end up like Shane has a chance early in the second half where he's put into touch because the pass comes too early and it isn't kind of squared up properly. And Stephen Jones throws that kind of like miss to, not the miss free to Shane. No, trust Shanklin to do the pass and the offload. Mm. Excellent. Really and well on the, on that first one, does him he calls for it from Peel, like as a miss missing out all of the forwards. And again, mm. it's just really smart. He knows exactly how to get the ball from A to B and what the most kind of efficient process is. So yeah, those those two tries both happen within two minutes of each other. And it's one of those where you go, Thank God for Stephen and thank God for Shane. <laughs> yeah. And in moments, Tom Shanklin. Yes. Does, does he Tom score? Shanklin, well no, he was a he's just he's a player who, if he is put oh, into space, yeah. he will absolutely take it every time. Yes. Yeah, and he's not necessarily a player who creates or finds space, but if he is put in it, he will make the most of it every he's single time. Good at open play, isn't he? Like yeah. uh, he makes the right decisions of when to pass, when to kick, when to just run. Yeah, no, no. I, I, as you were saying earlier, Luke, like you forget what a good player Tom Shanklin was. I think you get a certain image of Tom Shanklin in your mind. Then you watch him in a game like this, and you go, like, "Oh, well, you know what? Actually, he stood up when he needed to." Mm. Yeah, I think he's a fantastic player. I mean, I think I mean he'd be in the Wales fifteen now, wouldn't he? If he was. <laughs> If he was still playing, I think we could do with a player like like him in the centres. But yeah, I mean, he's 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 you know he's a joy to watch. I think and maybe mm. he's a little bit kind of, a little bit unfashionable maybe at the time when there were some other more kind of flashy players around him. But yeah, I mean, he was he was the, the best starting back here. I thought yeah, I thought Pay, I thought Peel was a little bit weak. I thought Hook was a little bit disappointed. I thought Kevin Morgan mm. was was actually quite quiet considering there was. I'm sure he went into that game thinking it's going to be a fair bit of space for me here, but he didn't see too much of Kevin Morgan. And yeah, I mean, Mark Mark Jones is a little bit a little bit kind of quiet. I mean, he came in he came into it in the second half. He still did quite a lot of good stuff as as ever, but didn't score any tries because he wasn't really a try scoring winger. Was no, he? no, he, that was the weird Mark Jones affliction. Like nothing summed him up better than that France game in 2008, where he goes 90 meters and doesn't quite finish it in what would have been one of the all time great Welsh tries. Yeah, probably the greatest all time Welsh try, but he. He doesn't. How yeah, often do you reckon he thinks about that? Oh, every, every day. day. Every day. He scores the, the, the greatest five-meter line cross of all time. <laughs> the thing is, a, a winger like Mark Jones probably wouldn't happen nowadays. Like a winger who doesn't score many tries and has less kind of out-and-out gas as mm. certain others will. But he was so solid. And like, I really like have good memories of Mark Jones as a Welsh fan. So, mm. yeah, it's a funny one. This is yeah. one of the, the, the few kind of like hot prospects, isn't he, in like Welsh coaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young age Eddie Jones offered him a job and he turned it down because he'd just gone to Worcester and he figured, you know, I should at least coach a game with them before (laughs) before moving on. Not that I did, you know, half of Eddie Jones' appointments any good, but there we go. So should we move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day and wrap this up? Yeah, Uh, last try scored by Colin Jarvis. Stephen Jones makes a break. Lovely stuff. There we are. Which I think we'll come on to. We start on Man of the Match. Will, do you want to begin? Sure. I've got so... Two two Canadian players written down. One of them is Morgan Williams. He's utterly fantastic. And I'm still tempted to actually give it to him. I thought Spicer at 12, Gander, we're not really okay. talked about him, but he was really good. Because like, his left boot was such a huge part of the Canadian game plan mm. that just ripped us apart in the first half, us being Wales, of course. I think Gethin Jenkins played well. I think around the park, he did a lot of really good stuff. But frankly, like... Given the discourse that surrounded what we're doing in this game, I have to give man the match to Stephen Jones. He only played half an hour, but I feel like if he ca- if he came on for either team, whichever team he came on for would have won. Yeah. And I, I feel like he did that for Wales and completely turned the game. So I can't see past him. Luke, where do you stand? I, I've gone for Morgan Williams. 
mm-hmm. myself. I've got written down here. I mean, I think yeah, he did. He did fade. I mean, they all did fade after after an hour. But I thought he was fantastic to watch for that for that hour. I think he did so yeah. many good things. Great hair. Yes. <laughs> well, kind of like sort of Disney Disney prince hair. Um, I actually looked, kind of I looked him up to see who he was playing for, and I obviously looked at the looked at the Google images, and he had um. He had frosting at one point. Nice. He had a short back and side. So his hair, hair moved with the times as well. But yeah, Morgan Williams, obviously great Welsh, great Welsh name as well. So obviously <laughs> good, good lineage. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think Morgan Williams would be my man of the match. I think for, from a Welsh point of view, I probably would have gone with, with Shanklin. But yeah, mm. I think Morgan Williams, I think would, would deserve a, a champagne, even if he was on the losing side. Absolutely. Yeah. He was excellent. Yeah, I think great selection. Those were the two hours torn between. I think Morgan Williams probably... On balance for most of the game, the best player on the pitch. But then Stephen Jones came on, and I think he has a bigger impact on the eventual result than anyone else. So it becomes a what are you deciding man of the match? Yeah, it's an ethical Um, debate here. Yes, and I think on balance of the fact that the scoreline eventually is a Welsh win by 20 plus points, I feel like I have to go for Stephen Jones. But at the same time... My, it's kind of like head is saying Stephen Jones, heart is saying Morgan Williams, <laughs> and both want to mention Andy Munro and Tom Shanklin, as you mentioned, plays very well. Also, there's a, a moose and a hat supporting Canada on the yes. sideline, and I think that's a man of the match contender as well. <laughs> Certainly um, up there. But yeah, I think Stephen Jones is just about my man of the match, sneaks it. And hard, it feels harsh to not give it to a Canadian player, doesn't it? But yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To move on to Dick of the Day very quickly, though, because yeah. I think it's a. I would say a very easy choice, but also the camera briefly cuts at the start of the anthems. So originally there was a whole thing that commentators mentioned that Wales was supposed to sing their anthem second, they ended up singing the first. So when the Canadian anthem starts, it cuts to the Welsh bents and we can see Kerry Sweeney starts to sing and then stops himself. Um, <laughs> and I think that is a dick of the day nomination worthy moment, but I'm not giving it to anyone other than James Hook for love normally. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, Hook's one guy I had written down, firstly, for the fact that he did a really bad slap on the Canadian seven Biddle. Yes. Secondly, for the fact he threw an intercept, you know, that's another thing. I mean, Shane Williams, I've got written down for the fact he got got by the sniper in the second half. But ultimately, my dick of the day is Alex Popham, because he at the end of the game on his own try line, tried to run it out off a scrum five, passed to Mark Jones, who was already in touch. <laughs> So Alex Popham's my dick of the day <laughs> for that. That's entirely fair. And Luke? Not not a, not a player, I'm afraid, but a sort of administrative slash business, probably a committee. But the people that designed and approved the whale shirt. Oh. I think. We didn't touch upon it, but it's 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 just grey. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just a grey shirt. There, there's no real design to it. The Rugby World Cup logo is sort of looks too big on it. Mm. There's no flair. Shirt is meant to be eye catching or inspiring or memorable, and it just it, it does none of those things. I don't believe it is worn again. By, no, no, you're right. By Wales, so just a complete, you know, a complete waste of time, missed opportunity. You know, you think of the lovely like green kit in '95. Mm. You could do a lot. You could do a lot with it, but it's just just really, really bad. I, there was probably some guff about it being like slate mines of Dolgatli or something like that. <laughs> it's always the way, um, isn't it? Inspired just, by coal. <laughs> I, th- I think I, th- I think it, it strays over into those uh, those Friday night autumn internationals yeah. where we try out against someone in a, in like a, a bad kit that we'll never wear again. And I swear the players look at it and think, "Oh, it's this it's this kind of kit, is it? It's one of those days." <laughs> 
it leaves a sour taste. Right. Grey is very yeah, much yeah. not Gavin Henson's colour. No, I mean, I think if Henson had been there, they, they, he probably would have had some impact on the kits and he would have, you know, it would have been a, a gorgeous sort of green and white number or, or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, I would say, I would say the, I would say the kit or the, the, the kit, the kit maker, if I can, if I can put that in there. Look good, play good. Uh, yeah, or in exactly. this case, neither. I, I, I thought, I thought all in all, it felt a bit to me like, you know, Wales versus sort of New Zealand in one of one of many games that we've all watched, where we mm. actually do quite a lot of quite a lot of good stuff and score some mm. good tries, and are actually quite proud of it. But at a glance, it's it's yeah. clearly a comprehensive defeat. It, it just felt a bit like that to me. If I was Canadian, like, oh, we did really well, mm. got a lot to be proud of, but ultimately we've we've been stuffed, and that's what it that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Big, are we the bad guys? Energy. Are we the bad guys? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, rather than like Christian Cullen coming on or someone, it's Stephen Jones. But it's still kind of the same principle. Oh, shit, this guy's good. He knows what he's doing. But yeah, poor old, poor old Canada. Kind of been yeah. downhill since there, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Bless him. All because uh, they hired it's our fault. Never mind. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. It's Wales' fault. I think that's it, maybe. He's really salty about this game and has just orchestrated their downfall ever since. Mm. <laughs> they never recovered from Tyrese Thomas coming off the bench. <laughs> always, they always shook in their boots after that. What tends but, to happen to a central team? He's got a very big smile, hasn't he? Mm, big, that, big Thomas Reece Thomas. His big, big, happy smile on his face at the end. I was like, yeah. oh, I remember him. Yeah. I remember him. <laughs> and absolutely, he's absolutely delighted. One of those players that never settled on a haircut, and good on him for that. <laughs> Rare in a Welsh hooker. Yeah. I, th- I think we got the bonus point, and I think I think we can we can push Australia well, and obviously we'll we'll beat Fiji. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to listening to the pod and seeing who we get in the, the sort of quarterfinals. Maybe <laughs> we can maybe we can push on then. See yeah, how, and see how Gareth Jenkins gets on in the Six Nations, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and he's 12 years ahead as Welsh coach. <laughs> By the time we well, get to the quarterfinals, I'm pretty sure Gav will be back from his injury as well, so you can pretty much count on us getting to the semis. <laughs> It's all nailed on. Luke, oh, thank you so much nice. for joining us. Thank you for that. No uh, where can people find you on social media? Where can people find the book? Where can people go and buy it if they don't happen to be by a Waterstones in Swansea? <laughs> yeah, uh, Mr. Mr. Luke Upton on Twitter is probably the best the best place. I think there's a link on my bio there as the place you can get the book. Oh. But yeah, the most recent book is Rugby's Greatest Mavericks. And then before that was Hard Men of Rugby. Before that was Absolutely Huge, which is the spoof autobiography. I think that might be available for a really quite low sum on Amazon right now, actually. <laughs> really? Absolutely huge. I think it's a couple of quid on there. But yeah, if any of those books sound interesting, you can get them. Waterstones, Foils, Amazon, obviously. Or independent bookshops, because it's normally actually the same price as Amazon there. And if they don't have it, they will order it in for you and it will only be in there in a day or two. So kind of please get the book any way you like. But if, if you are able to get it at an independent bookshop, I think that is the best thing. But no, really, really enjoyed it, boys. Uh, I think mm. it's great. I think it's a great idea. I think you could you could do one of these, but for every single game in the Cardiff Swansea Rebel season. Of, yes. uh, we'll add that to the list. That's the next one. We're yeah. doing the 1987 Premiership. All the Rugby World Cups. We now all the Reese Witherspoon movies. Yeah. All the Rugby League World Cups. And now, yeah, we're adding up the Rebel season. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, Luke, I'll thanks do, so I'll much do. for coming on. Just wanted to say I really I'll, appreciate I'll... it. Love, love your work, of, of mm. course. Always appreciate the thoughts and opinions of a fellow rugby nerd, you know, <laughs> who has put some excellent words on paper before. So can't thank you enough. <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much, boys. Keep up the good work. And I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to look forward to finding out what happens in the rest of the tournament. <laughs> I can't wait to find out. Starting with next week, please thank you for listening. Join us next week when the game will be for fans of Tier 2 Nations scoring 17 points against Mythfire and Celtic teams. Ireland 32, Namibia 17. What a thriller we have it's in be a cracker there. Luke, thank you. Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Luke. Will, thank you as ever. And thank you to everyone that's listened at home. I bid you all good night. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 